We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The NBA is back. Where else can a city this loud be this left on? And 30 feet is still in range. Where else is history? Still in the making. The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Crossing route, Gurley makes the catch 20. First down, he hurdles. Far side of the field, stays on his feet. Inside the 10, Todd Gurley making his case for MVP. Wait, he throws back shoulder. Higby reaches out and makes an incredible catch for a first down. Off his back foot, he throws to the end zone. Cooper Cup leaping to make the catch. Out of bounds, he has it for six. He's got a knee-high snap, looking left. Now over the middle. He pump picks. He rolls to his right with Connor Barwin pursuing. He knocks him down. The ball is thrown up in the air and batted away. Incomplete. The Rams' defense clinches it. Goff will come on the field for victory formation. The Rams' sideline across the field from us erupts in celebration. And so the playoffs are coming back to L.A. This January at the Coliseum. We, not me, versus the NFC. And for the first time since 2003, the Rams are NFC West champions. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is managing editor Derek Ciapala with the man, the myth, the legend, Norm Hightower. We're here to preview the Atlanta Falcons heading over the Coliseum this weekend to play the Los Angeles Rams in the NFC wildcard game. Before we even get into it, though, we want to go ahead and ask you to go over to iTunes Give us that five-star review. You can also find us over on Stitcher. You can find us on iHeartRadio, Google Play, and on SoundCloud. So please, just go check us out. Any of those places you can hear us live. Before we get into with Aaron Freeman over from uh, Falcon Central and from Locked On Falcons, we do want to go ahead and briefly cut in and talk with Jay Paris. We recorded this call earlier today. He is our resident historian, giving us some information on the Rams playoff history. Here we go. All right, we're here with Jay Paris, the author of Game of My Life Rams, and we are talking Rams playoff football. That's why we have him on the show today. Jay, what can you tell us about – well, first, let's ask you this question right away. Sure. Last time you and I talked, we were in the midst of watching the Rams make a move towards the playoffs. And I don't think either of us thought they would win the vision at that point. How are you feeling about this Rams team and what they've done this year? You know, I think what jumps out at you is that they didn't lose two games twice this year. And they, they proved they were able to bounce back, and they, they proved they played some of their football in big games. Look, this is a young team. This is a young coach. They they don't have the experience. They don't have that, that postseason play under their belt. But they play big games. I mean, to play the Saints, to play the Eagles, to whip Seattle at Seattle. I mean, those, that was big game experience. So uh, I think going forward, that's going to be something to keep an eye on. But I think, too, this is a much different team now than it was at the beginning of the season. This team believes it could be one of the best teams in the NFL, and really it's proven it to date. Now, you've watched many, many 
years of Rams playoff football. Unfortunately, we haven't seen much of it in the last 20. But overall, right. you've seen plenty and plenty of uh, years of it. How does this Rams team compare to the playoff teams of the you know the late 80s, the 70s, or even the greatest show on turf years? Yeah, there's a little greatest show on turf there. If they want to call it greatest show on turf, uh, that, that's fine too. I mean, I don't think uh, Goff has, has as big his arm as Kurt Warner does, but he's certainly got the outside weapons like Kurt did, and, and he's got a, a martial ball like that. Again, uh, it's Todd Gurley. Uh, maybe I skipped over Gurley a little bit, but his, he has been so impressive this season and what he's been able to bring uh, to this offense, not just with his rushing, but with his, his pass catching. And then you talk to the offensive linemen, and they praise his pass blocking. So he has really developed into that uh, all-around back that, that really Marshall Falk was as well. Uh, Goff's story now is a little bit different from Kurt Warner going from the arena league and going from being a store clerk at the high V market in Iowa, you know, for being the first overall pick. So a little bit different there, but uh, there's some similarities. I mean, remember this team uh, led the NFL in scoring this year, almost 30 points a year, which kind of harkens us back to the days when they were flinging it around on the artificial turf in St. Louis. So in terms of, you know, St. Louis, that's the easiest comparison to make, right? Show on turf, they both scored a lot of points, so on and so forth. This is the first team, this is the first Rams team based in L.A. to make the playoffs since the 1980s. 1989, for that matter. So Right on. Well, how do you make that work in your brain now? It's been almost 30 years. How are L.A. fans reacting to this playoff run compared to what they saw back in those days? Yeah, you know, and I think if you, if you really look at it, uh, Derek, it's, it's the first playoff game since the 1978 season in the L.A. Coliseum. Of course, they finished up their, their first stint here at, in Anaheim. So, you know, to have a playoff game in the uh, back in the L.A. Coliseum, I think is huge. And I think you can feel the, the momentum, the energy, the excitement building all, all week. I mean, that's a special place to play a game. It seems crazy. It's been almost 40 years since there's been a, a Rams playoff game there. So, you know, I think that, I think that place is going to be packed as much as it will be. You know, it, it can hold 90. They cap it at about 70,000, but I think the place is going to be rocking because people are hungry. And in LA, they love a winner. If that winner is entertaining like the Rams, all the better. Now, in your book, Game of My Life Rams, you talked a lot about some of these big games that took place in the history of the franchise, including games that took place at the Coliseum. Right. What is it? What was it like with some of those, some of those players you talked to, about you know those big games and, and how would that compare to you know in today's day and age of 2018 where you know everything's technological and so on and so forth. So much of it is about the replay these days and. and uh... You know, he's looking at plays over and over. You know, Tom Mack to this day, he says he didn't flinch in the 1974 uh, conference title game against the Vikings. He was called for uh, moving too early down near the goal line that the ball got scooted back five yards and James Harris was intercepted on the last pass, or on the next pass, the next play, and really turned the whole game. So that's different, but I just, I just think what the Rams went through in the 70s to, to get to that, you know, 79 in the Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl 14. A lot of people said that it was a wild card team. They only won nine games and maybe they didn't deserve it. But you got to remember they played in, uh, three straight title games. They lost 74, 75, uh, lost in the division in 76 and then again in 77. So that's three or four years they lost in the conference title. So, so they deserved it in 79. That's for sure. And uh, with Vince Ferragamo hitting Billy Waddy and, you know, on that big 50 yard pass to beat the Cowboys, uh, that's pretty cool, and, and Vince Ferragamo doing uh, that in his sixth start, NFL start against the Cowboys when they beat him in the playoffs on the way to that Super Bowl. That was pretty neat, too. So, you know, the Rams, it, it's such a franchise, such a tradition, and I think that tradition is only amplified when they play at the Coliseum, and, and you can think about Tom Mack playing in those playoff games, Jack Youngblood with a broken leg, going against Fran Tarkenden when they beat him that last game to move on in, in the late 70s. There's a lot of history down there. And don't forget, they won the title in 1951 at the Coliseum as well. All right, well, let's, let's go there. We, we have a lot of uh, fans who watch the Rams play the Coliseum for the first time in terms of a playoff game. Right. This is a new generation of L.A. fans who are getting to know this franchise and its history. So off the top of your head and knowing that history, you're, you're kind of the history expert here. What are some of the major games that have taken place at the Coliseum in Rams history? Well, you know, when they beat the Cleveland Browns in the 24-17, 1951, they, 
lost the previous year in 1950 title game to the Browns, and they lost in 49 title game as well to the Philadelphia Eagles. That kind of solidified it. I mean, you know, that was pretty impressive since moving here in 1946 to, to go get a title, play in the title game that often. So that 51, that, that 51 year kind of really got it. I always think of the 67 playoffs as well. Roman Gabriel's second year, he had to beat Bart Starr and the Packers and Johnny Unitas in consecutive games to make the playoffs. They weren't in the playoffs long, but it kind of showed that the Rams were back. I mean, they went from 1955 there to 1967 without being in the playoffs, and that's a pretty good stretch. But when Roman came back and had to win George Allen's second year as well, I mean, the Rams kind of reestablished themselves. And, and really, when they took off in 73, I mean, they were in the playoffs for almost every year up to the, the mid-'80s, late-'80s. It's it's a pretty impressive run. Actually, through all the 80s, 90s were bad. So, you know, one thing about L.A., it, it's about titles and it's about playoffs. And, and we see that we just saw that with the Dodgers here, what a fabulous baseball season they had, but they didn't win the whole thing. And to really make your mark in L.A., you have to play for titles or, or do well in the playoffs. And I think because the Rams got off such a good start when they moved here, kind of set the foundation for, for later years. But it's a different dynamic now with them being gone for 22 years, and not a lot of people know know their history and know they've won three titles in, in three different cities. And the, the new team is certainly trying to make make their mark on that. Uh, we know they're inexperienced, but uh, I love having Wade Phillips running that Rams defense. I think that's going to come in, come in awful handy in the playoffs. With the Rams and the Coliseum in the 70s, you mentioned games with the Cowboys, with you know, with the Vikings, and that's coming. But right, yeah, if, the Rams, if the Rams win next this week and they're playing the Vikings next week in Minnesota, that has a feeling of those old 70s matches with the Vikings. What can you kind of harken back to, you know, those days and, and talk about those teams and those players and what it meant to them to play in the Coliseum? Yeah, I think, you know, it's going to be great that they would go to Minnesota and, and you wouldn't see those those heaters that were used to be on the sideline, the, the old Metropolitan Stadium in Minnesota, and, and Bud Grant, the old Twins, or Twins, the old Vikings coach would, would wear short sleeves despite it being really cold. Uh, that's going to be different. And I remember Roman Gabriel talking about that weather and, and how tough it was, and, and George Allen trying to convince everybody that was Ram weather, and, and, and how Roman would just would just laugh and give, giggle at that because – he knew better, and uh, they all knew better, but they, they would buy into it because it, it was a playoffs. But, you know, I think you got to be realistic when, you, when you're talking Rams football that there, there's been a lot of heartache, and there's been a lot of losses, and there's been more losses, than they, and there's been wins. And, and that was a heartbreaker, that Super Bowl fourteen. I mean, to be leading 19-17 to 17 against the, the vaunted Steelers going into the fourth quarter. Ron Smith had just hit Lawrence McCutcheon for a 24-yard touchdown pass, and you know, the, the Steelers were on their heels. I mean, <laughs> Bradshaw turned the ball over three times, and they had more penalties than the Rams. And it was just a, a game they could have won that day in, in Pasadena. But of course, John Stallworth makes that catch over Rod Perry for 73 yards, and, and Franco adds another touchdown. But there's Rod Perry. We, we talked about Tom Mack mentioning a loss in the playoffs that still gnaws at him. Rod Perry's uh, pass coverage that day against John Stallworth. He, he says he can still feel the ball almost touching his fingertips. Of course, they were both in midair, and Stallworth made that acrobatic ballet catch to to score and really lead the Steelers back. So uh, what what I would tell these people that have maybe experienced the Coliseum and the playoffs for the first team for the first time is to enjoy it. Yes, the Rams are built for a long haul, but you never know what's going to happen. There are absolutely no guarantees in the NFL and teams you thought would be there next year. Something happens sometimes. So, at some point, you know, take a deep breath, look all around the Coliseum, check out the flame. It's going to be flickering a night game in L.A. and and really appreciate uh, how neat it is to have a playoff game back in the back in the grand old lady, the L.A. Coliseum. The last time a playoff game was played there was 1978, right? It's right. Yeah, it was uh, night 79, 78 season. Yeah, so it's, it's absolutely crunched them. So this that's 40 years ago, right? What has changed about? Even the, the Coliseum and the neighborhood around and, and overall the state of, you know, L.A. football in that 40 years. Well, well it's crazy. You know, uh, UCLA and USC in particular were, were, you know, right there with the, the Rams almost. And 
it's a crowded landscape. I'll, I'll say one thing: the, the Coliseum is still uh, it's viable, but you know USC is getting ready to put three hundred million dollars in it because it needs to be brought up to standards. You know, it's, it was built in the early twenties, and now there's the you know the Chargers in town, and there's a different vibe. I mean, just uh, NFL in particular, but the area around the Coliseum is is on an upswing. To tell you the truth, they uh, tore down the old sports arena right next door and built a new uh, soccer soccer stadium for uh, MSL. They're coming in, and, and the whole Figueroa corridor leading up to Staples Center and going towards downtown, and mm-hmm. that whole area is, is looking a lot nicer. So Rams football was was part of it, but you got to remember that the Rams got there in, in 1946. The Coliseum was built in 21, so they got there a little time before. But uh, Ram games are fun again, I will say that. You know, there was a time, let's be clear, when the Raiders were there. It, it, was a, uh, it wasn't somewhere where you'd bring your family. And the language and the fighting and all that. Not to say that that won't go on these days, but to the level of the, uh, of the animosity in the crowd back at the toward end of the Raider days. I mean, that wasn't a good look for LA. And you wonder why the, the owners were so, uh, reluctant to get back to LA. That was their memory. Those rich owners getting out of the Coliseum late at night and a Raider crowd. I mean, that was their lasting image. Uh, image, if you would, of L.A. football. So they had to get over that a little bit, and that's why they didn't really ever want a team to go back to Coliseum. That was their, you know, that was their image of it. But it's different with the Rams. It's, uh, you know, I, I guess it's more family-oriented, although the ticket prices, that, that's hard to say. Yeah, that's there's, true. There are, there are wild fights and too many drunkards. It's a, it's a safe environment as much as the NFL can be. Oh, we were sitting in Section 4L. Row 62 last weekend, and those seats were, I think, 160 a pop. Right. I mean, yeah, that's it's it's not the same as it was in the 70s in that respect. It's very expensive to go to go to a game there, and I can only imagine it's going to get much worse when Inglewood opens up. People will be looking back at those tickets to, for Saturday's game and, and saying, "Remember the good old days when they didn't cost <laughs> that much." But, but they do they do have an eighty five dollar ticket. I did I did see that. You know, you'll be upstairs a little bit, but that's not bad. These very crazy at the tippy top. Now you did, you mentioned the Raiders also real quick, and and I know this is going to be a little bit off topic, but yeah, this last weekend the 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 Chargers hosted the Raiders in little StubHub Center and. There are several news articles out there talking about how the Raiders fans took over the Hub Center. Were you kind of watching that at all, going, wait a minute, this is not what's really going on here? Was it, was it really a case of the Raiders fans taking over, or is it just a case of the Chargers not really making that imprint yet in, in L.A.? You know, I, it was the Raiders taking over. You know, uh, as much as I love the Rams and everything, the Raiders, they have a heck of a foothold in, in this community. And they did win the Super Bowl title while they were here. And it was about 90 to 10 Raider fans, Charger fans uh, last Sunday. So I, I don't know how you ever really get around that. I think, I think the Raiders are always going to have their mark here. Uh, you'd be interested, Derek, in full-page ads in every newspaper in Southern California for that game last week, touting the new Las Vegas stadium. So they have a, they have their mitts on this market, and they're not giving it up. So I, I know the Chargers like to say, you know, fight for LA and they point to the Rams. Well, you got the Rams and the Raiders, and you mentioned different dynamics of playoff football. There's one of it there that you know, among the most popular teams is one that plays you know 400 miles to the north. So that that's a little different, uh, different wicket. Uh, Chargers got some work to do. They really do, even with that big winning nine of the last 12 and playing some really good football. Probably deserve to be in the playoffs, but it, it's going to be a tough sell and. Uh, they made a little traction that first year, but uh, not as much as they wanted, for sure. Well, it kind of brings a question to my mind here. Uh, let's just say, you know, let's go hypothetics here. Let's just say the Rams and the Raiders played a game, home game at the Coliseum. This time now, this weekend, they're playing the Rams and Raiders. Who who shows up more, Rams fans or Raiders fans for that game? You know, I think it'd be Raider fans. I think that those fans, uh, they had them last. And, and a lot of people travel to Oakland and where the Rams moved away, you know, to, to St. Louis. The Raiders moved away, but their fans really didn't move away. I mean, if you go to an airport, any Southern California airport on Sunday morning, there's loads of Raider fans. They, they, they stayed more loyal. And I think you got to remember, too, when the Rams left Los Angeles, you know, before that, they went down to Anaheim and, and they lost a little bit of their base there. I mean, to, from, to go to the west side, west LA, they, all the way down to Orange County, it was a little bit of a grind and they lost some people there too. So I think 
the Raiders were successful and the Rams on the tail end, they weren't very successful at Georgia Frontier. And the owner did a pretty good job of, of, of mashing that team down. So I, I don't want to share a card. The, the Raiders have a lot of fans in L.A. And I think that's just a fact of life. And I think that's why they're, they're going to go to Las Vegas and kind of treat it that as East L.A. and invite all those Raider fans to come over, too. So the fight for L.A., it's a, there, there's three corners occupied in that fight, not just two. I mean, well, I get the impression it's not really a fight for L.A. between the Chargers and Rams. I don't even think you can really – I don't really – the impression I'm getting right now, and having – I just came out. I was out there last weekend for the game. And right. the I don't really see the Chargers making much of a dent at all. I think this is really a Rams and Raiders battle for L.A. than anything else. And no, absolutely. I mean, the Rams or the Chargers are going to be the Clippers. You know, and even if the Clippers <laughs> are better than the Lakers, they're not the Lakers. I mean, the Lakers are the Lakers, and, and they're always going to be the Clippers. The Clippers. But – do the Chargers want to be a big fish in a smaller pond or, or uh, uh, you know, get in that big old lake and see if they can get their slice of the pie? Now, maybe that changes a little when they move into that new new facility and everything, but it's still clear, you know, that he's, he doesn't, uh, Mr. Spanos, the Chargers owner, doesn't have a fan base in L.A. He doesn't have one in San Diego. So he's almost done the impossible where uh, the Chargers, you know, are met with shrugs over a region of 25 million people. Oh boy! All right. Well, hey, let's let's go yeah. ahead and and, uh, and let people know Jay where they can reach you and and you know to read your book Game of My Life Rams that came out uh, late last year. It's still a heck of a heck of a read. Where can people find you and find your Twitter page? Right on. We're at uh, we're at Amazon. We're we're spinning them out of there. And my Twitter, our Twitter address is at J just the letter J and then Paris like that romantic city P A R I S underscore sports. I'm always on there at J Paris Sports. We're at Amazon, and the book is at the L.A. area bookstores. And if you happen to be out for the playoff game, we're going to be doing a book signing at the Rams team store right under the peristyle by Tunnel 28. Come on by and not only say hi, but uh, tell me your your best Rams story because you know, this is really cool, Derek, because, you know, everybody's got Rams stories, and everybody's got a different one, and, and it's so much fun to share that with them and see that passion people have for the Rams. All right, folks, you hear it. Check it out. He'll be there at was it Gate 28, right? Yeah, that's right. By Gate 28? Yeah. At the Rams Town team 28 store. To call it, yeah, at the Rams Town 28. Right on the terrace style. Okay, so there you go, Town 28. Again, thank you again. Thanks again, Jay. You're, you're becoming our resident you know, history expert here to come on the show. <laughs> so, again, thanks hey, for uh, your time right. and, and appreciate it. I love it, pal. And uh, anytime, just reach out. I'm always, always happy to talk to you guys. All right, wonderful. Interesting conversation there. Welcome to the show, Aaron, though. Aaron Freeman, again, from Falcon Central and Locked on Falcons. Welcome, Aaron. Appreciate you guys having me. Well, we're glad you're here. What can you tell us right away about how the Falcons are looking heading into this playoff game? I think the Falcons are looking pretty good. They're coming off a pretty good win against the Carolina Panthers in Week 17. Historically speaking, long-time Falcon fans know that this team is prone to letting uh, the fan base down, and there, there was a time a couple of years ago, back in 2014, where they were in a win-and-you're-in sort of scenario uh, against the Carolina Panthers um, at the, in Week 17 and got blown out at home, and that was the last game that Mike Smith wound up coaching this team. And so it was, you know, a very positive development that the Falcons, given this situation, given the previous situation where they, they sort of had the ultimate letdown in that scenario, they found a way to, to come through and, and win this game, and I think that's inspired a lot more confidence with this team heading back to the postseason and maybe with the ability to get hot and make a, a run. The Falcons have kind of been a, in a position like the playoffs already. You come in and you, you guys play the Carolina Panthers. You have to win that game or you're, you're out, and so you kind of already are in the playoffs, which kind of gives you an advantage coming into the game this week, I think, in that respect, plus having the playoff experience you know, being the NFC West champs from last year and going to the Super Bowl. And so that, that, ought, that ought to help you guys coming into the week, uh, playing against a Rams team that pretty much sat out 95% of their starters last week. I, I would agree. I think the Falcons have basically been in this mentality since the midway point of the season when they were 4-4, four and four, knowing that they needed to sort of turn their season around and, and get hot down the stretch if they wanted to, to make a, a serious shot at this, given how well the Saints and Panthers – we're playing up at that point. And so they've basically been in a, you know, playoff mode where any loss is sort of taken as, uh, they're, they're going to wind up costing their season. And I think, you know, historically, I know 
from my perspective, teams that tend to sit uh, in that Week 17 game often lose a little bit coming out, uh, taking that week off. You know, a lot of this stuff is about momentum, and I think the Falcons have it. And hopefully, uh, from my perspective, maybe not so much for your guys' perspective, but uh, hopefully the Falcons can take advantage of that and maybe catch the Rams a little bit sleeping early uh, on the, you know, with the Falcons playing on the road and the Rams at home. That was my biggest concern, that the Rams would rest these players, try and get everybody healthy, but then lose a little bit of that oomph they've had to finish off the year where they to win the division. That's my biggest fear, you know, especially being a young team, a team that has not been in that situation before. And here the Falcons are. They're a team that went to the Super Bowl last year, went through their own heartbreaks, and then had to grow from it. So I guess my, my question for you next is, well, how has the Falcons grown, or how have the Falcons grown since losing that Super Bowl? Well, last season was the team was overwhelmingly dominated by one of the league's best offenses and one of the best offenses of all time statistically. Um, their defense really wasn't very good last season, and the offense was so good that they were basically able to mask the fact that their defense wasn't quite up to par until, you know, the very end of that Super Bowl. And this season, you've seen a big step back from the Falcons' offense, and you've seen a big step forward from the Falcons' defense, particularly as of late. They've gotten a lot of their young players to start to play some of their best football. Deion Jones had a really strong finish to the season after uh, pretty high expectations going into the season and not necessarily uh, living up to those early on. Uh, Grady Jarrett has taken big steps. Uh, the rookie, Tack McKinley, has been a, a welcome addition, as well as Don Terry Poe. They have one of the best young secondaries in, in the league. You know, I think potentially up there with the Legion of Boom in terms of their quality. Keanu Neal, their first-round pick a year ago, um, has really become one of the top young safeties in the league. You know, he's able to make plays in coverage versus the run as well. So I, I think their defense has really grown in – they're playing with a lot more confidence as of late, and I think that's really been what's helped facilitate some of their success in the second half of the season versus the first half of the season. But we've also seen growth from the offense that was still trying to find itself, struggling a little bit, with trying to find its identity. They found that offensively, you know, they they rely heavily on their running game. They rely heavily on their play-action passing game. I know, you, you know, Sean McVay's offense is very similar to the type of offense that Kyle Shanahan established and now Steve Sarkeesian is, is continuing here in Atlanta. So there's a lot of similarities in terms of the, the styles of offense that these two two teams play, and I think it's going to be made for an intriguing matchup to see which offense can um, you know triumph over the other one this upcoming Saturday. Well, let's take a look at the defensive comparison. The Falcons' total yards per game allowed. The Falcons are averaging 318.4 a game. The Rams are giving up 339.5, so they're giving up a little bit more. The Rams are passing yards per game. The Falcons are at 214.3, uh, only giving up that many. And the Rams are at 217.2, so they're very close there. Uh, rushing yards per game allowed. The Falcons are giving up 104.1 a game. The Rams are at 122.3. Points per game allowed. Falcons are giving up 19.7 a game. The Rams are giving up 20.6 a game, so again, pretty close. And third down conversion percentage allowed. The Falcons are giving up 38.3%, and the Rams are giving up 37.9. So when you look at the numbers, other than the rushing yards per game, they're, they're very close all the way around when it comes to the defense. Absolutely, absolutely. I think one of the other stats that the Falcons really stand out, I don't know if their ranking is off the top of my head, but I know for most of the season they were in the top 10 is in red zone conversion rate. The Falcons defense has been pretty good at preventing teams from forcing teams to settle for field goals when they get down in the red zone. I think that's going to be, you know, in these playoff games where any little mistake that uh, you, you make winds up potentially could cost you the game, whether it's a turnover or whether it's settling for three points instead of seven when you get close to the end zone. Those are the types of things that really uh, make a difference in this game, and I think the Falcons have an opportunity to, to make hay with that uh, against this Rams team. The match with the Rams have really struggled in the in the red zone, especially on deep, uh, sorry on offense. Teams have been able to really stuff them and hold them to field goals when we would rather prefer they get touchdowns, obviously. And especially early year, uh, that was the big question mark: Can the Rams begin converting in the red zone and make those three points into seven points? We never really got that answer, and now against a Falcons defense you're mentioning is very good in the red zone. I guess we're going to find out. 
Yeah, I, I think, you know, this is one of those things where oftentimes you can make a correlation between red zone success and, and quarterback play. And while Jared Goff has played very well this year, typically young quarterbacks tend to struggle a little bit in the red zone. Um, and I think that's something that where the Rams will get better as time wears on. But I certainly think going into the postseason, again, where everything sort of where you have to be as close to perfect as possible, given the, the high level of competition, those are the types of things that don't necessarily bode well for inexperienced quarterbacks and, and particularly with a, a first time first year head coach who's um, going to be calling his, his first playoff game and, and certainly is a little bit uh, untested in that regard, despite the regular season success that uh, McVay and the Rams offense has had this year. Well, and if you compare the offensive numbers, they're very, very similar for both teams. The uh, Falcons are averaging 364 yards a game. The Rams 361 uh, passing yards per, gra- per game, 249 for the Falcons, 239 for the Rams. Rushing yards, 115 for the Falcons, 122 for the Rams. Uh, points per game, which is this is where the significant number is. Points per game is the Atlanta Falcons are getting 22.1. The Rams are getting 29.9. Third down conversion percentage, 44 for Atlanta, 41 for the Rams. And time of possession is within you know, 15 seconds of each other on average per game. But I think the big number that points, you know, that comes out to me is when you look at the quarterback comparison, Matt Ryan being an experienced quarterback, you know, has gone 342 for 529 for 4,095 yards. But the number that I was surprised at is he only has 20 touchdowns, where Jared Goff being in only his second year is 296 of 477 for 3,804 yards, but 28 touchdowns. So, I guess it's a matter to me is whether Jared Goff can come in there and play this like it's any other game or if he's going to have playoff jitters and, you know, be on the big stage for the first time. And I honestly think that Goff has done a good job of of staying kind of composed and not really letting the the importance of the game take him over. And I'm I'm curious to see if that's what we'll see against Atlanta this weekend. It'll certainly be interesting. Uh, the one thing I've noticed over the years is typically when you have a quarterback play in his first playoff game, there is not a large degree of success that most of those guys have. And typically the guys that do manage to win their first playoff start are typically guys that are backed by a really strong defense. And, and you have that with guys like Tom Brady in his, you know, the first year he started in playoffs, the Patriots won the Super Bowl, backed by their defense. Ben Roethlisberger with the Steelers defense. Uh, Joe Flacco in Baltimore, et cetera, and the list goes on and on. And I think the Rams, you know, have the defense that's capable of, you know, backing Jared Goff in a lot of ways and, and sort of keeping things low scoring. That's basically why it works, because if, if the defense is good enough to keep the other team from scoring a bunch of points, then you don't have to put as much pressure on your young quarterback to have to go out in his first start and put up 30 points in the game. I think the key with, for the Falcons is, you know, depending on how golf, I don't think they can necessarily rely on, on golf having, um, you know, first time playoff jitters. So they're going to have to do their best job to try to, to make it so. And I think they're going to rely on their defensive line, their pass rush. I think the Falcons, you know, their, their defense is predicated on their secondary's ability to match up man to man with any receiver core in the league. And they've been successful doing that for the most part. And even though the, the Rams receivers have made big leaps this year, I think they'll be relatively confident that, you know, with Desmond Trufant and Robert Alford and Brian Poole, that they can go toe to toe with the, with the Rams three wide receivers. And it's going to be a lot more pressure on the defensive line of the Falcons to be able to create that pressure. We saw Vic Beasley. He destroyed Rob Havenstein in the Rams game last season. Um, but the Rams picked up Andrew Whitworth and John Sullivan in the offseason. Um, I expect to see Roger Saffold back in the lineup as well. So um, the Falcons are going to probably lean heavily on their interior pass rush um, in addition to, to Beasley on, the, on that one side of the line to try to create pressure against guys like Saffold and Jamon Brown. Uh, Grady Jarrett has played very well this season. has been a, a full force against the run. He'll be critical to slowing down Todd Gurley. And Don Terry Poe, while traditionally viewed as, as a great run defender, has been much more effective as a pass rusher this year with his size and power being able to create push up the middle and then allow the, the edge guys like in Beasley and Claiborne and Tack McKinley to be able to finish off plays and get sacks. 
All right, just a real quick word about our sponsor, the Golden Ram Barbershop out there at 13755 Golden West Street in Westminster, California, 92683. Give them a call at 714-894-RAMS. That's 714-894-RAMS. They're open Monday through Friday. Yes, again, Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m., also on Saturday, 7 a.m. to 4 p.m., but however, we need to point this out. Sal Martinez's shop there is by appointment. Give them a call. Make an appointment. It's a great experience. Sal's shop there, the Golden Ram Barber Shop, is a, man, it's a museum for Rams football. All kinds of memorabilia. We are just as Norm and I got our hair cut there. We look good. And we had some good football conversation looking at everything from Henry Yeller pictures to stuff from St. Louis, all going back to Super Bowl 14. It was a great experience. Again, that's Sal's. Sal Martinez's Golden Ram Barbershop at 13755 Golden West Street, Westminster, California. Give them a call again at 714-894-7267. That's 714-894-7267, which is Rams. If you want to sponsor us, you get us at ramstalk1945 at gmail.com. Listen, we love our sponsors. They love us. We'll do a great deal with you. We will do everything we can to, to support what you do. We really appreciate it. And finally, one more thing, one more time. If you have not followed us on iTunes, if you've not given us that five-star review, we have a contest going on right there. If you just leave your written review, send us a message over on Facebook or our email address just so we know who, who your username is, so we can give you credit, and you're entering the contest for our $50 gift certificate to NFLshop.com. You can also find us on Stitcher. You can find us on iHeartRadio. You can find us on Google Play and on SoundCloud. Now, one number that Norm mentioned that really kind of piqued my interest was the touchdown disparity between the between Matt Ryan and Jared Goff. Jared Goff, a lot of his scores are deep throws, big plays, things like the 80-yard screen play that went to, to Todd Gurley and the big pass that went to Robert Woods and Sidney Watkins in the Giants game. So the yardage of Matt Ryan is higher, but what's happened there that his touchdown input has gone down this year? And overall, the yardage being very similar the Falcons are averaging seven points less a game. What happened with the offense? What what was different? As you may or may not be aware, there was a lot much to do made about the fact that for most of the season, Julio Jones had only one touchdown catch. Uh, he finished the regular season with just three touchdown catches um, and only had touchdown catches in two games this season. And so that's a big part of it. Even though Julio Jones typically doesn't put up these monster touchdown numbers, the fact that he only had three instead of the six to eight that he usually gets almost every year is a part of it. You also didn't have as big a season from the Falcons' number three receiver, Taylor Gabriel, who was a huge part of the, the team's explosiveness in 2016 and why the offense was so potent, uh, his ability to dial up big plays. Gabriel's had a couple of touchdowns, but he's just basically been marginalized from the offense, and this was one of the concerns heading into the season when you go back to Gabriel's time in Cleveland when Kyle Shanahan was calling plays there, he was very effective. And in the year when Shanahan left to come to Atlanta in 2015, when Gabriel was still in Cleveland, he was not very effective. And we've seen, you know, over the course of Gabriel's four-year career, when Shanahan's calling the plays, he's he's one of the more potent and explosive receivers in the league. But when Shanahan's not calling the plays, he's, you know, no different than sort of your average run-of-the-mill, you know, undersized uh, number three receiver. And I think that's really sort of hurt Matt Ryan's particularly touchdown numbers with those two guys in Julio Jones and Taylor Gabriel, who were a big part of the team's explosiveness and, and big play potential the last season, taking a big step back in terms of their touchdown numbers this season. I think we're going to see a, a disparity in the, in the game is on the defensive line front. And the reason I say that is I was looking over the, the sack numbers and the sacks given up. The uh, the Rams have 48 sacks this year and have only given up 28. And the Falcons have given up uh, 24 and sacked their opponent 39 times. So the Rams are a little bit, seems like they're a little bit stronger in the pass rush than the Falcons, but they both tend to not give up too many sacks. So to me, it really comes down to the, the defensive line in this game. And that is, you know, can the Rams put pressure on Matt Ryan and can the can the Falcons put pressure on Jared Goff? How do you see the defensive matchup when it comes to the defensive fronts? Well, I, I did attend the University of Pittsburgh, so I'm well aware of how good Aaron Donald is. <laughs> I was well aware of him uh, long before most Rams fans were. So uh, I, I think um, 
it's going to be tough for the Falcons because, you know, I'm, clearly Aaron Donald is, is arguably, other than maybe Julio Jones, going to be the best player on the football field on Saturday. And I think given the Falcons have had some injuries on the interior line, Andy Levitri was shut down for the season uh, after suffering a torn triceps. His replacement at left guard, Bing Garland, has filled in admirably, but there's no reason to think that he's going to be able to hold his own against Aaron Donald. Alex Mack has been the starting center of the Pro Bowl center, has been dealing with a calf strain. He struggled in, in the Week 17 game against the Carolina Panthers. The Falcons were able to sort of scheme ways to de-emphasize the run game and, and rely on their short passing game. Matt Ryan threw a, a season-high 45 passes in Week 17, um, and they were able to rely on that against the Panthers team. But I don't know if they can you know, pull that magic twice in a row if they're not able to establish the run up the middle. So it's, it's going to be critical for the Falcons to find a way to neutralize Aaron Donald to the best that they can. You know, again, like a Julio Jones, you can't really stop him. You can only hope to contain him. And even that only goes so far. So I think if the Falcons can prevent Aaron Donald from just completely wrecking their, their offense, I think they can find ways to exploit this Rams defense by attacking, you know, their linebacker core. And, and hoping that, um, you know, the incomparable Julio Jones is, is far too much of a, a mismatch for a guy like Tremaine Johnson or whoever the Rams decide to stick on him. Well, you mentioned a key point there, and that is attacking the linebackers. The Rams have a weakness, and that is in that intermediate passing game, that's where teams have been able to get them with the tight ends, right up that middle, right up that gut, in that second level there. And that's what concerns me is, in the times where offensive lines have been able to do just enough against the Rams' defensive line, they're able to really get just in that middle, right where Ogletree is and where Barron normally is and so on and so forth. That's some of the, that's where some of the big problems the Rams have had on defense throughout the year. And every once in a while, a, a team can exploit it. And I think the Falcons are one of those teams, and that's what really has me worried for this weekend. What will the Rams do to scheme against that? You know, you're, you're kind of locked in roster-wise right now, but that's a big concern for me. Now, flipping the script, the script. what are your concerns with the Falcons' defensive line dealing with the Rams' running game, their tight ends, and so on and so forth? Yeah, I think, you know, an equal concern for me, as it is for you, is the play of the Falcons' linebackers. You know, even though Deion Jones has finished the season really strong, their linebacker play throughout the season hasn't been that consistent. They've been a team that has been known to bite on play action, and open up windows over the middle of the field uh, for opposing teams' receivers. The Rams are the, the, the team that led the league in play action passes this year. Todd Gurley is, you know, in the running to be an MVP candidate. Um, certainly, I think, is, you know, whether he is debatable whether he could or should win MVP. I certainly think he should be the front runner for offensive player of the year at the very least. And, you know, he's going to be a tough matchup for the Falcons because he's, both an effective player in the passing game as well as a runner. The Falcons have struggled this year uh, handling, you know, running backs that are capable receivers out of the backfield. And I don't expect Gurley to, you know, I think I don't expect that to change against Gurley. And because he's different than the sort of the typical theoretic type of, you know, quick, fast running back out of the backfield that the Falcons usually have to deal with, the Falcons linebackers are really built more for speed than power, and a big, hard-charging running back like Todd Gurley is going to be a difficult matchup for them. I, I, I go back to last year's game where the, the Falcons blew out the Rams, but if you go back and you watch that game, in the second half, the Rams realized that you know Jared Goff was a little bit overmatched, and the only way that they could effectively move the ball was by running the football to Todd Gurley, and even though it didn't certainly reflect on the scoreboard, they were able to move the ball up and down the field against the Falcons running the football. And that was at a time when Ty Gurley wasn't certainly playing his best football and the Rams' offensive line wasn't as good as it is right now. So I think that's going to be a challenge for the Falcons. And if they can't keep Gurley contained both in the passing game and as a runner, um, it's going to be a long day for the Falcons. I see a couple different things coming into this matchup compared to last year, and that is the Rams' receiving core is basically brand new. Uh, you know, with, with Cooper Cup and Robert Woods and Sammy Watkins and Gerald Everett. Then you throw in the fact that Todd Gurley is our second leading receiver this year in yards at 788. And that's something that you didn't see much in the Jeff Fisher junior high school offense. So I think that's something that's gonna, gonna maybe give you guys problems. But I think the biggest key for the Rams here is the fact that 
for the most part, their offensive line has been healthy and played together all year. And we expect to have all our starters against you guys and have played just about every game, almost every play that they had to during, you know, time that wasn't garbage time. So that's where I can see the Rams giving you a little bit of trouble, and that is the offensive line uh, playing well and Todd Gurley, not so much his running game affecting you, but more his receiving game affecting you. Do you do you anything wrong with that? No, I think that's that's perfect. I think that's really where you want to attack the Falcons. Um, as I said, I think their linebackers, even though they're fast and athletic, aren't the most reliable. They're still young. They're still developing, and, and so you can catch them. You know, with poor awareness and poor discipline, you know, not fitting their run gaps in the run game, but you can also catch them unawares in the pass game. And I think, um, you know, the Falcons were able to sort of use uh, Keanu Neal to cover Alvin Kamara two weeks ago against the New Orleans Saints, but that's largely because the Saints don't really have much to speak of at the tight end position. I think the Rams have a little bit more there, so I don't know if the Falcons will be as committed to asking Neal to cover Gurley out of the backfield. And I think, honestly, that may be even a better matchup for the Falcons' defense if they do decide that because Neal is not as likely to get sort of out-physicaled when he's he's charging downhill or when when Gurley is charging downhill because, you know, Keanu Neal is that sort of Cam Chancellor type of, of hitter that's certainly, you know, a, an immovable object uh, meets in a, a – I forget this phrase, but uh, you, you, you guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Now, one thing that comes to mind for me, and I'm thinking kind of grander scale here. Back in Super Bowl 36, the Rams lost a close one, 2017, last minute field goal, you know, heartbreaker, and the team the next year fell apart mentally, went 7-9, and they were never really the same after that. This year, the Falcons came out, struggled a bit, but they recovered, went 6-2 the rest of the way after going 4-4, four and four. and now that they have a really good shot beating the Rams this weekend, what, what pulled this team together to get them back to the playoffs, especially coming after that Super Bowl heartbreak? You know, if I could if I could um, figure out what exactly it was, I'd certainly try to market it myself and, and make a lot of money off of uh, going to cl- coaching clinics and, and whatnot. But I do think the thing that the Falcons will always point to is, you know, one of the things that they talked about last season, which was the reason for their success, was their uh, brotherhood uh, within their locker room chemistry. And I think – you know, that sounds like a sort of a, a hokey thing and a, a little bit of a cliche thing, but I think in terms of this team being able to turn things around, midway through the season, they realized that they were letting this thing slip through their grasp, and I think they came together as a football team, started playing better, the coaching staff started doing a better job, and I, I think overall things, you know, I just think they realized that this thing could easily slip away and that they weren't going to let it happen, you know, falling down, so... I can't necessarily point to a specific game or a specific moment that sort of turned around their season, but I, I do think, you know, this team is, is a team that realizes that they let an opportunity slip away from them, and I don't think they're going to let that happen two times in a row. And so I think this Falcon team is going to be very hungry this uh, weekend going up against the Rams. It's interesting you say that the Rams had a couple of moments like that this year, the, the Philadelphia game being the most recent where they – realize that, you know what, we're in this together and we can play with anybody. The whole we, not me thing is what we have going on with the Rams right now. I, too, see this this game being one of those games where two teams that are mentally ready are going to go at it. So what's your X factor, Aaron? What is What sets this game apart for the Falcons if they're going to win it? What's, what's the, the intangible here? It's, it sounds obvious, but I think it's Julio Jones. He's always, when he takes over a game, he's always the guy that it just really becomes impo- next to impossible to beat the Falcons when he takes over a game. And I think he hasn't, you know, even though his numbers are very similar to what they were last season, outside of a couple of games, he hasn't really had that many dominant sort of, oh, my God, this is the best player on the planet type of performances this year. And I think he's capable of doing that this week, uh, going up against this Rams secondary. And if he does then I don't know if there's a whole lot the Rams can do to stop him because I just don't see a player for the Rams offense, you know, even though Gurley has that potential that is going to be able to repeat that same success for them to, to keep pace with the Falcons. Well, that's where I would see it is, you know, again, I'm on the Rams side here, but that's where I would see it being an advantage for us because if Julio Jones doesn't take over the game, we've got, many players that that we use throughout our offense 
where we don't really have one dominant receiver, but yet they're all really good receivers. And then we have the X factor of Todd Gurley. So that's where I kind of feel like we might have the edge. And that's because we don't, we're not relying on one player to take over the game. We have several players that can, such as Robert Woods. You know, he's stepped up a couple games this year and kind of taken a game over. And then you've got Todd Gurley who's done the same in Cooper Cup last week, uh, or week before last catches the touchdown in the, in the back of the end zone to give us the lead there. And I just feel like, I think overall we're, we're a little more consistent with our offense, relying on more players to play decent rather than having one player come out and play like a superstar. So I, to me, that kind of feels like an advantage. I understand perfectly where you're coming from with that, because I, I do think it is oftentimes a disadvantage where the Falcons are just basically waiting for Julio Jones to show up and, and become Superman and save the day. And I, I think there's been a number of games where the offense has struggled because of that exact reason. And I don't think that's going to be as much an issue for the Rams because, you know, th- their Superman is Todd Gurley and he's much more integrated into the offense due to his ability uh, as a running back, as well as catching passes out of the backfield. It's much easier to, to get the ball to your running back in the flat than it is getting it to your number one receiver who's getting bracketed by safety help and, and, and cornerbacks every single snap. So uh, I, I think you're right. You can certainly count that as an advantage uh, for the Rams. I think on paper, the Rams are the better team. I think they certainly have every reason to, you know, be confident that they can win this game. But, you know, obviously from a completely different perspective, I do think the Falcons have not really reached their full potential this year and are capable of so much more. And I think they could catch the Rams uh, a little bit sleeping this weekend um, and, and surprise some people. You know, and my X factor going back to you, Aaron, is, is actually Tremaine Johnson. Tremaine's been covering Julio Jones throughout much of that game. And there are times when he is, well, let me, let me back up. He is the Rams franchise cornerback. He is paid to be a shutdown corner. But the truth is Tremaine Johnson is not a shutdown corner. He's not consistent enough for that. There are some days, though, where he's very good. And it's a question of which Tremaine Johnson will show up for the Rams on Saturday night. If we get a Tremaine Johnson who can at least give Julio Jones some problems, then this is a Rams win, in my view. However, if Julio Jones dominates Tremaine Johnson in that matchup, man, it's, 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 it could be ugly for that Rams secondary. It really could. So, you know, but that's my X factor there. Tremaine Johnson, What? which one will we get? Will we get the shutdown guy or will we get the guy who makes mistakes, uh, makes, you know, makes poor tackles, is, gets lost in coverage? Which guy will we get? And I don't know. I can't. Norm, do you know? <laughs> yeah, no, it's tough to tell with, uh, with Tremaine, but I do think that you have to look at LaMarcus Joyner and Johnson back there at safety. Both of them are ball hawks. Both of them are hard hitters. And, you know, one of them is probably going to be constantly helping double. And I think that's where Tremaine might get some help and, and it, it could change the game. But, and, and I truly believe that Aaron's correct. If Julio Jones has the capability of doing it, and if he does it, it's going to be very tough. The difference is, though, that the Rams offense is able to usually put a lot of points up on the board. So we may be one of those teams that can keep up. And that may put a lot of pressure on Jones. And I, I just, I sure hate relying on one guy. We've done that a lot last year. We relied on Gurley. That's all we really had. And when people can shut down Gurley, we, we had nothing else. And so I think if the Rams can shut down Julio Jones, I think it's going to be a very similar deal. But it's tough to tell. You just never know. And this is playoff football. So, you know, any given Sunday, anybody can show up and play well. It could be somebody that none of us are talking about that shows up and has a game of their life and, and is a difference maker. So we'll just have to see. Yeah, I think one player that could be that guy is Devontae Freeman, the Falcons running back, who's played very well this season. He's been dealing with some injuries, has been limited in practice this week. He was able to – he missed yesterday's practice, came out today in limited fashion. The, the Falcons are optimistic that he'll be able to play on Saturday. But he, he'll be an important part. He's been – you know, even though Julio Jones is the, the headliner, Devontae Freeman has been the more consistent player this season and been the more consistent component of their offense. And so I think while I wouldn't expect him to, to run rough shot over the Rams, if he, they can get him going early in the game, it'll open up other opportunities because all of a sudden now that safety that you want to devote to Julio Jones now is starting to peek into the backfield and, and then that creates opportunities for Julio Jones on the outside. All right. Well, 
I think we've gone as far as we can go, guys. So I guess this is the time where we make our calls. Aaron, you're our guest. I'm going to ask you how you call in this game. Rams, Falcons, what's your score? I'm going to go with the homer pick. I'm going to take the Falcons. I feel like it's going to be a pretty tightly contested game. I think it's going to go down to the last minute of this game. Um, but I feel like the Falcons will be able to prevail in a 27-24 type of game. Norm? Well, I like the fact that the Rams did rest their starters. I think a lot of the starters that they rested are experienced and used to being rested, and I think a couple of them really needed it. So I'm looking at, you know, a very similar score as Aaron, except kind of flip-flopped, and I'm pretty much going to go with what their points per game average was. I'm going to call it a 30, probably a 30 to 21 game with the Rams winning Oh, boy, so I need to be the tiebreaker. <sighs> All right. my I go back to a point that Aaron made early in the podcast, and it really is sticking with me, and it's something I've been thinking about, and that is Jared Goff's youth. And I think it really comes down to him in terms of how this game can go for the Rams. He has been shaky at times in the latter part of the year. He There are times when he's missed, missed players. He has gotten better in, in various parts of his game, but we still haven't seen the progression we want to see just because he's young, and he'll get there. But in a playoff game, his first playoff game against a seasoned team like the Falcons, I'm really concerned. I'm really concerned about that. It's on the back of my mind, and I'm teetering here. But I also think, man, this is a mature team with guys who will keep him in line and keep him focused and keep him you know, confident. So uh, I'm going to go, I'm fretting here, I'm going to go Rams 24-21. And... I'm not confident on that, but I'm going to go with our team. Rams 24 21. All right, Aaron, we want to thank you for coming on the show. Can you give a quick shout out uh, as to where folks can follow you and get your podcast, to, you know, get you guys' point of view over on your on your shows? Yeah, uh, they can find me daily on Locked on Falcons. That is the podcast I do daily once a week on Falcon Central Radio. They can find all the details about Falcon Central Radio on ProFootballCentral.com. Uh, they can also check me out on Twitter where – I'm, I'm tweeting about the Falcons, talking about chicken wings, any any sort of thing. Uh, on uh, my Twitter handle is at Falcfans, F A L C F A N S. All right, Norm, any final thoughts? Well, I just want to thank you for coming on board, Aaron. It's it's been a pleasure having you, and and regardless of of the outcome, I still think this is going to be a really great game between both teams. I'm really looking forward to it. And, and I like the fact that we're playing a team like the Falcons who have a lot of class and have been, you know, really strong contenders the last few years. And I just look forward to a good game. So thanks for coming on board with us. I appreciate it. And if you can let the Saints, Panthers, and Bucks fans know that the Falcons have a lot of class, that would be much appreciated too. <laughs> well, well, you know, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, one one All thing right. one thing I can say to that, and I can attest to that, is that uh, we were in L.A. last week when Georgia uh, won the Rose Bowl, and we were at the airport, and just about every seat on our plane and, and the waiting area was full of Georgia fans, which in turn was a lot of Falcons fans. And I got to say, they were really, really nice people, you know, wished us luck, had a lot of good things to say about the Rams, No, nothing condescending, nobody's saying anything bad at all. It was a real pleasure to talk to him. So that's kind of where I get that from. Plus, you know, the Falcons have just been, you know, I think a classy team just to watch them play. And so you put all that together, and I say they're a class act, and that's why. Well, I enjoy watching them play, too. I, I enjoy watching the Falcons play the last couple of years. They play with a certain dignity, but yet, you know, they're explosive. They, they're everything that's good about the NFL. If we're gonna be real about that. They are they are exactly everything that's good about the NFL. And I wish more teams would play like they do on a weekly basis. Aaron, that does remind me. One more thing for you, man. Hey, we're gonna be doing a tour around the league, going over the offseason. We'd like to have you back. Want to come back on the show? Talk about the the Falcons offseason later on. Absolutely. Outstanding. We'll be in touch. Okay, folks. We're gonna go ahead and sign off. This is Derek C. Paul, the managing editor over at Ramstock, with my man, the myth, the legend, Norm Hightower, and Aaron Freeman from Locked On Falcons and Falcon Central saying goodbye. We'll see you Saturday night.
can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. The in-dash OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.